Welcome to the Questions for the Sages podcast. I'm Michael Scherer. Jannard Nadas moved onto the temple grounds four months ago with his wife Amy. Amy's interview is episode 28 of the Questions for the Sages podcast. This is episode 44. Thank you for your time, Jannard Nadas. In looking ahead to 2018, I think that it will be important that this podcast grow and develop. And in many ways, that will require listener support. For now, I ask that you use the like and comment buttons on Facebook and SoundCloud, and that you rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts. These things will help expand the listeners of this podcast. Thank you. Welcome to Questions for the Sages, interviews from the Hare Krishna community in Potomac, Maryland. I'm Michael Scherer, and thank you for joining me, Janard Nadas. Yes. And you, uh, I have gotten to know over the past few months. Months, three months. Is it three months that you've been here? I think we moved four months ago here. We? Uh, My wife, Amy. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And Amy's been interviewed on the podcast. She has been, yeah. yeah. And so you moved here four months ago? Yes. From where? We were living in uh, Rhode Island, in uh-huh. Providence. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just for a year. Uh, Amy, she, uh, she got a job at uh, Brown University as an administrative assistant. And that's when we moved. And before that, we were... We were living in um, Gainesville, Florida, um, which uh, which is very nice. Uh, we were living in a place called Krishna House. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a preaching center near the University of Florida, and Amy and I were doing service there. So, were you preaching? I was cooking. Oh, okay. Uh, every day. Um, they, they have a special program where they cook for the uh, vegetarian meals for <laughs> the university students. And sometimes we would cook up to uh, 1,500 plates a day in the busy season. Hmm. So, yeah. And Amy was also doing administrative work there. In Gainesville? In Gainesville, yeah. You know, people won't necessarily realize... Um, I think there's a lot of Hare Krishna devotees in Florida. Alachua, yeah. especially in Alachua. Yeah. Especially in Alachua, Florida. Gainesville, how far is that from Alachua? It's like about a half an hour drive. Okay. Yeah, it's very close. But I'm not aware of uh, a big Hare Krishna community in Rhode Island. Not at all. Not at all. I had one uh, friend there uh-huh. uh, who's a devotee. His uh-huh. name is uh, Russell. Uh-huh. And I, I got to know him, which is very nice. Um, but I, um, yeah, they were almost, uh, yeah. So why did you move there? It was kind of an experiment. Uh-huh. Uh, Amy got that good job. Yeah, okay, she got a good job in Rhode she Island. She got a good job in Rhode Island. And our, our service in, uh, in Gainesville came to a natural end. Mm. At the Krishna House? At the Krishna House, yeah. And so uh, we made that decision. Uh huh. So how was how was a year in Rhode Island? Um, it was. It showed me a lot of things. 
You know? Yeah. About what? Mm. Well, show me how how important association with like-minded people is. Like I, I have lived mainly in temples, you know, basically all over the world. Um, always, always close to devotees. Uh-huh. And this was the first time that, well, not the first time. I've done that before, but since a long time that I that I lived a- away from a temple and just worked, so I was just working different places, uh-huh. and uh, I didn't go to morning programs or something. And morning program starts at what? Four thirty. Four thirty. Yeah. In the morning. In the morning, it means you have to wake up at three forty-five. <laughs> but so you weren't you weren't doing that. You were you sort of uh, transitioned to civilian life, more or less. More or less, yeah. So you were out of the Hare Krishna world. No, no, because the Hare Krishna world. I mean, it's an inner it's an inner world. So you can't you can't unsee the world as you as you see the world. So yeah. Yeah. But that that association, how I mean, how was that? How was how was coping with not having too many other Hare Krishnas to talk to? Was it was it difficult? Yeah, it was it, it it's hard to not to not have that association. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder. It's harder to stay focused. Yeah. Now, so so you came here after a year in Rhode Island. Before that, you were in Gainesville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where were you before Gainesville? Before Gainesville, I was in um, Radadish in Belgium, in a temple. There's a big temple in Belgium. Okay. Are you? Or is that where you were born? I was born in the Netherlands. Okay. So Belgium is right next to the Netherlands. Uh huh. And before that, I lived in uh, Sydney. Sydney, Australia. Sydney, Australia, where I also lived with devotees. Uh, I cooked for Govinda's in Sydney. Govinda's restaurant. Yeah, vegetarian restaurant. And I worked in a yoga retreat center called the Govinda Valley, uh-huh. where I also cooked. Were you doing yoga there at the retreat center or, or strictly as a cook? Well, I, I did many different things, but the main thing that I did was, was cooking. Yeah. Now, didn't you meet Amy in Sydney? I did. How, how did that happen? Well, so I, I was uh, at Govinda Valley. I was uh, doing service there with the devotees. And Amy decided to... She was traveling by herself. In Australia. In Australia. And she decided to come and check out... Uh, the yoga retreat center, and uh, that's how we met. Hmm. That's how it happened. And what was the dynamic of sort of how did how did the religious dynamic um, enter this relationship? I, you know, I, I'm not asking for personal details or anything like that. But hmm. did you did you discuss? Um, you know, are we a Christian couple? Are we a Hare Krishna couple? Are we, uh, you know, aspiring to a Vedic model? Are we, do we want to be engaged citizens uh, of the modern world? Like, did you sort of, did you have to hash that out or was it clear? Yeah, we, we had we had a lot of conversations about that, of course. Yeah. Um, 
that um, yeah what is our goal in life what is our main focus what is important to us mm-hmm. um, we have a lot of similarities like that although we also have a lot of differences um, So why would you choose, as a couple, to pursue Krishna consciousness? Um, Well, I mean, philosophically and um, logically, it's the only the only real thing to do. It's the only thing that um, will lead us to the place where we belong. Okay. Um, I want to I parse that into two parts. Uh-huh. One is the place that you belong. Mm-hmm. The other is the process that gets you there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think these are, we can pretty neatly divide these. Mm-hmm. Tell me first about where you belong. Well, well, the, the soul or our, our spiritual self um, is, a, is a part of God and is always looking to be engaged in in the service of God. And because we live in a material body, which is temporary, we identify with that body. So we try to make our body happy or our mind happy. But it's compared to being like a fish out of water, where no matter what you do until you place the fish back into the water the fish is not going to be happy you can take the fish and give it whatever you want money and roller skates anything you want but the fish (laughs) (laughs) anything you can give it it's a good analogy because the fish is never going to be happy similarly the soul is also never going to be happy until it's placed back in its natural constitutional position which is an eternal servant of Krishna. So when, when we find that out, that we're not going to be happy unless we're engaged in Krishna's service, we start to become more serious about connecting with Krishna because we feel like a fish out of water. Okay, so you've answered the question of where you belong. Mm-hmm. And the other question, the other part of that was um, the method of getting there. Well, the method of getting there is is uh, uh, mercifully uh, given to us um, by the representatives of Krishna. And um, I mean, the whole the whole Hare Krishna movement is based on on. Uh, the Guru Parampara. Which is the Guru Disciplic Succession. The Disciplic Succession. And, you know, we, we all know Srila Prabhupada, um, the founder, founder of the Hare Krishna movement. And um, 
so yeah, when um, yeah, it's it's such a it's such a broad topic. It's hard it to is. Kind it of is. I mean, it down, it, but yeah. Um, yeah. The well, okay. So there, well, there's two things. One is yeah. one is the destination, and two is the method of getting there. Yeah. So uh, I want to speak more about that about the method of getting there. Yes. And yeah. what I want to know is how are you? How do you know that this is the most efficient? method of getting to where you want to go by by realization so you have that personal realization up to a certain extent yeah yeah that that whatever the hari krishnas are recommending that you do mm -hmm. sort of is the most convenient way mm -hmm. to return to your proper situation um, I think it's hard to say it exactly like that because everybody's different mm -hmm. but the, the process that we follow the I mean devotees uh, Hare Krishna devotees what they follow is like a rekindling of our um, our spiritual fire so we, we perform spiritual activities to realize that we are a, spirit, a spiritual being, that we are an eternal soul. And so everything that we do, like we chant Hare Krishna, um, we, we wake up early, we chant, uh, we do service, there's so many things that we do. It's all to realize that we are a spiritual being, that we are part and parcel of Krishna. You know, I, I, this brings up a, a large uh, question that I have. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's kind of a big question. I'm sort of hesitating on the brink of uh, sort of this, <laughs> you know, following this path into the jungle. Um, and I think I, think I will uh, sort of... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, ask what has... It, it, it troubles me about this, this notion of... Uh, we're we're not this body, yeah. Because um, it seems to me that in the the Vedic system and especially the the perfect society as laid out in the seventh canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, mm -hmm. um, there are sort of uh, specific roles mm -hmm. for people to have in society, basically depending on their body, yeah whether they have the body of a kshatriya, the body mm -hmm. of a brahman, the body of a vaishya, or the body of a shudra. Not, yeah, the body or the nature of. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. Uh, uh, necessarily distinguish between those two. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that both of those are, are a function of the gunas, which if you have read the Srimad Bhagavatam, you'll be familiar with the idea of that the being three basic components of of a human personality or yeah. human body and the different social roles uh apparently correspond to sort of um different proportions of these three gunas in a person's makeup mm -hmm. and, and and i don't have the impression that you can do a lot of adjusting of those proportions yeah. so you're born Okay, so 
this is all to sort of put to one side. This is the side of your social role and your function in life mm-hmm. is determined by the body you're born into. The, on the other side is yeah. the notion that you're not your body. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. Yeah. But the two sort of balance each other in a way because one is uh, one sort of uh, the idea of you're not the body seems to sort of give you a sense of expansive freedom. It's a liberation from the notion that I am confined to this material world. Yeah. But on the other hand, I very much want to know how this material world works so that I can function within it to the best of my ability in contribution to society without, without, you know, causing trouble for other people. Yeah. So these are two extremes. And I, and I wonder if the idea of, uh, I am not my body might have a, um, sort of a different force and a different impact on someone who is from a society that's much less structured. Yeah. Um, you can see, like you were talking about Varnashram Dharma, um, that's not really existent in, in our society nowadays. So it's very yeah. hard to, to practice that. But we still have our own nature. That's why we see, like take for example this temple here. Like some people, they have a priestly nature, so they worship Krishna on the altar. Some people, they're more farmers, so they, they take care of the cows. Uh, other people are good at uh, administration, so they're administrators. So the devotees are also engaged according to their, to their nature. Mm-hmm. That, that, that cannot be denied, but there is something higher that... Um, when we reach that plane of our, our spiritual existence, then those things um, are still important, but they're not the all in all. Well, okay, and but this is important because you're saying that it it's there's an internal psychological change mm-hmm. that we seem to be striving for. Yeah. That that it's an improvement on your psychological status. Yeah. To realize that you are not the body. Well, of course, because it gives us um, security to know that even though the body may be slowly um, dying, as we all know, we we, we grow older, we die, um, we get sick in between, um, things like that. So the body is dying, but the spirit soul is is eternal. So when we manage by the mercy of the devotees to understand our spiritual nature and our spiritual identity, we enter into a different realm. Psychological realm. I wouldn't say... I mean, is it a different loka? Is it a different planet that you enter? It's it's a realization. It's a... a, Yeah, it's a realization. Hmm. That comes about by practicing Krishna consciousness. So we, what we do is we, we practice Krishna consciousness as it is given through the Guru Parampara, through the disciple succession. And by practicing it, we realize that we are not our material body, nor our uh, mind. 
and that we are a spiritual being. And when, when we realize that, then our, um, our understanding of who we actually are changes. In, Just like uh, in what way? I mean, do we become less concerned with the events of the world? Or probably, I don't, wouldn't say less concerned, but definitely less affected. Okay. All right. So that would, that would I- imply a movement towards sort of psychological health of not being uh, overly attached and grasping. Well, I mean, actually, I just uh, read something about the, um, maybe it's interesting to mention, something about the Alexander Technique, mm-hmm. where... Um, what they do is they try to connect with God or with the super soul and from there they heal their, their, their uh, subtle and their um, physical body. They do? Yeah, they do. In the Alexander technique? Yeah. It's really? like a, there's a religious element to that? Uh, not really. If you, I mean, there's little, very little to know, but okay. that, it, it, got, it comes down to that. Okay. Um, so it means like, yeah, if we live in a higher understanding of our relationship with God, right, and we are very blissful and very happy because we understand that we are, have an eternal relationship with God and that we... Uh, we have nothing to fear. Okay, but then from there, naturally that security and that happiness also flows through the rest of our existence. But there is a difference between the experience of bliss and happiness and service to God. They're, in fact, they're not at all the same. Because if you're, if you hear this and you say, oh, Maybe I'll explore the fact that I'm not my body because, mm-hmm. hey, I, I, I could go for some bliss and happiness. Yeah. Well, then it's not service. Then it's self-serving. Um, depends. I guess it depends. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're all looking for happiness. Yeah. So we're looking for happiness. We may do the strangest things looking for happiness. Sure. But we will soon find out that happiness has a beginning and an end. So we'll maybe, we may do something that uh, will make us happy, but then after some time um, we may find that that same thing does not make us happy. But now tie this into you're not being your body. Um, Like what well, difference does it make? I guess that's okay. So, I mean, so besides a, a general good feeling of uh, a feeling of well-being, yeah. What is the point of saying you're not your body? Besides the relief it can give you, of because uh, because it is we're looking for the reality. Hmm. We're looking to live in the actual reality. So if we're looking to live in the actual reality, then we if we search deep enough. Mm-hmm. We come to understand that our actual reality is that we identify with our body and our mind, but we actually are not the body and the mind, but we are a spiritual being. And as long as we identify with the body and the mind, we live in a sub-reality. 
we're not actually living to our fullest potential. Okay. Now, um, I think the argument can be made that because our body and our mind is the only tools we have to work with. Yeah. That we all, I mean, you have to identify because your body mm -hmm. is what you wake up with every morning. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, it's not like there's no connection. No, there's definitely, I mean, I mean obviously we can't, we can't discard that notion. And, and I guess what I'm imagining is sort of like somebody saying, you know, I'm just going to wear a loincloth and, and, and live next to a river and slowly starve myself to death. Yeah, that's not and the idea either. No, that is not the idea. But that's, I can see the, you know, if you go full on with, you know, I am not my body. Mm -hmm. I can see how that could lead someone to waste their life. Well, okay. So, okay. We, we say, you know, philosophically, we are not the body. Mm -hmm. we, we, we identify with the body. That's a big problem. Mm -hmm. Identifying with the body and the mind. But in a deeper sense, if we look the body or the mind, they actually belong to Krishna as well. Right. So because we are servants of Krishna and the body belongs to Krishna, our body belongs to Krishna. Therefore, we take very good care of our body. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we take very good care of our mind. Therefore, we take very good care of the environment and also of others. Because, yeah, that, that's just a philosophical, um, kind of like a heavy statement. You are not the body, right? Yeah. Prabhupada used that a lot yes. to make that clear. But if we look at it like, um, well, let's say... Let's say, let's um, um, envision that uh, Krishna creates the entire universe and we are all uh, part of that creation. So, therefore, we should be very careful with God's creation. So, we should be very careful with our body and we shouldn't see that... Um, we can do whatever we like with the body or with the mind. So when we see everything as God's creation, then we can be very careful with our own body, with others, with other people's body and mind. And we live in a different realm of understanding that this is, yeah, in, in a way, everything is spiritual. But the, yeah, but, but the material world is a reflection of the actual spiritual world. But when you say that everything is spiritual. Yeah. It's almost a it's a it's a self-nullifying statement because if everything is spiritual, mm. then spiritual has no meaning. Well, it does have a meaning. It, it it's complicated, but like say air, either water, fire, yeah. you know, these things like the the the, the stuff that the world is the made up of. Basic fundamental elements of the Yeah, universe. that's called Krishna's material energy. Yeah. So it's Krishna's material energy. So to understand the full picture, you have to go all the way back where you can see there is the spiritual creation, which is unlimited, where we actually belong, where the soul belongs in the spiritual creation. So when the soul um, wants to have a different experience and wants to live separately from Krishna, from God, then Krishna says, don't do that because this is your real existence. But if this, because the soul has free will, the free will is extremely important. 
because in order to have a loving relationship, you need to have free will, right? So in that sense, then, um, it's like a, a child which wants to touch the fire. And the father says, or the mother, don't touch the fire. And the child continuously wants to do it. So the parents understand this child needs to have the experience. Mm. So they, okay, touch the fire. So they touch the fire and they burn themselves. And it's like, well, I burn myself. Why didn't you tell me? But we told you, right? So in that, you need to have that, that full, it's complicated, but you need to have that full understanding of why does the soul choose to come into the material world and why does the soul want to have that experience? So if the, when the soul wants to have an experience separately from Krishna, then God creates at that moment, which is in time immemorial, it's an eternal thing. God creates the material world where the soul can have an experience separately from God, where they can forget that they are connected with God. So in that realm, we are right now. So it's not our real place, actually. We are kind of like children, kind of playing in this world, pretending that we are not connected to God, that we're that everything is so important in this world, you know? But actually, this is not our real home. And when we realize that, that situation, then we see things from a different perspective and stuff becomes less important to us because we understand that this is just a temporary situation that we are in and we are misidentified with the body and the mind and yeah, it's very important to take good care of your body and your mind because it's a tool also to yeah. develop our spiritual... That's the whole thing. Well, if you do spiritual practice, you do it with your body. With your body. And like my spiritual master, um, His Holiness Prahlad Swami, he's actually the minister for uh, uh, health in ISKCON. And huh. he is very, very um, adamant that we have to take very good care of our body in order to, to make spiritual progress, to use it mm -hmm. in service to Krishna. Um, and, um, yeah. I, I'm going to take a, a bit of a diversion back. I'm sorry for my complete lack of structure, <laughs> but how did you end up in Australia? Um, well, one day I went to Vrindavan. In India? In India. One day you went to Vrindavan. One day. It was a happy day. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> uh, well, um, I, had, I had made the decision to, to spend six months in India. And where were you when you made that decision? In Belgium, in Radhadish. Okay. In the temple. Radhadish is a big So you had moved into the temple already? I had moved to a temple in 1998. And that decision, I think I made that in 2005 or 2006. Oh, okay. And, yeah. and when you decided to, in 1998, hmm. what was your decision again? What happened in 1998? Well, yeah, that, that's, that's a completely other story. You were talking about why did I go to Australia. To Australia. We okay, can, okay. We can we'll, get we'll, back to that. We'll work our way back. Yeah. So, so you decided to go to Vrindavan. 
Yeah. In India. Yeah. And you went there. I went there. And this somehow led to your being in Australia. Yeah, what happened was like um, I met a, I met a girl there, <laughs> and um, we didn't even speak actually. We um, in in Vrindavan? Or? Yeah, I was at the lecture and there was a lady there, and I saw her, and but nothing happened. I didn't speak with her or anything. So I went back after six months. I went back to to Radhadesh, to the temple. And then somehow happened that I met that same lady. Who you had seen in Vrindavan. Yeah, she, she happened to be from Holland. And uh, so she came uh, to the temple there. She didn't know I was there. Um, and um, she lived in, she was from Holland, but she lived in Australia. And she was visiting her family and came to visit the temple. So I, I, we, I met her and we were talking and stuff. And... Um, she went back to Australia and I was corresponding with her uh-huh. and then um, she was working for some devotees there and I needed a cook so I happened to be a cook and then um, she said oh I know someone who is a cook so I said oh why don't we get him here so that's how I ended up in the city. okay okay yeah. and I think I think maybe we'll, we'll sort of stagger this now I'm gonna, now I want to present you with another uh, problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Here's here's my problem. Yeah. Uh, and this has to do with Varnashram Dharma, Again. the social system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I find as time goes on, I become more concerned about Varnashram Dharma as a legitimate social political option in mm. the world we live in. Mm. And uh, and I want to ask you about archery. Archery? Archery. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll answer whatever I know. I'll okay. My now, best. my impression from the Mahabharata mm-hmm. is that Arjuna mm-hmm. was a great archer. Yeah. But that was more significant because he was from a culture in which archery was commonly practiced. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, he wasn't the lone archer. He mm. was from a culture mm. that was uh, used archery. Mm. And what is a bow and arrow good for? Well, it's good for fighting or hunting. So it's basically good for killing people and animals. Yes. These are the two purposes of a bow and an arrow. Or, well, I mean, they're also used for sport. But the sport is, um, would be sort of a practice for the actual use. It wouldn't be a sort of... It could be. I mean, as far as... It could be. I mean, yeah, what value. you say is... But, but, but yes. we can assume that at this period, there were a lot of people with bows and arrows. A lot of animals were being killed and mm-hmm. potentially people too. Yeah. What happened to all these animals? What what is your question? Because that, that that's a uh, yeah. I don't know what happened. Did yeah. they eat them, or did they leave them? I would assume they ate them. There could be. I mean, it is mentioned that uh, kshatriyas uh, are do have the um, because it's their duty to fight. Mm-hmm. So because it's their duty to fight, they sometimes go into the forest to practice, mm-hmm. and they kill wild animals, mm-hmm. and. 
I don't know if they. I don't. I'm not sure but, if they eat them, but. Uh, but it would be criminal not to eat them after you've killed them. Well, I mean, I don't know because, like, a tiger or something, like. Well, yeah, you know, I would eat it. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I don't know about this. But but, but, but so what I what I'm what I'm wondering, in, yeah. and this is what I don't understand: where did meat eating fit in in Vedic culture when a, a significant part of the Vedic culture involved archery? Well, I think what what you, I think where you're getting at, but I'm, at least as far as I understand, is that this that the kshatriyas, um, like if we read Bhagavad Gita, right? It Bhagavad Gita is spoken on the battlefield. There was a great battle. Yeah. And the kshatriyas they fight against evil. So, well, yeah, but when Chatris are fighting each other, then the other side, whichever is the other side, is evil. Well, that that remains to be determined, of course, by which side you are on. But yeah. normally, like say, um, you need to protect people. Well, you, you have a to, governmental function, of, you know, like of of maintaining order and preventing crime. Yeah. So, like, very simple. If you need to protect people. There is a, a class of people, the Kshatriyas, who protect society against uh, evil or against well, bad elements. Against crime, against crime. invasion, and yeah. they enforce the laws. Yeah. Um, so there, there is a function to an army, which is, a, which, is a, which is natural, which is a good thing. So yeah. in, that, in that sense, to be able to protect yourself with bows and arrows or whatever weapons... I mean, that, I don't see what... Uh... But we can assume that at least one caste mm-hmm. of the four yeah. was probably engaged in meat-eating. I don't think meat... Like, if you say meat-eating, like, one, another part, like, another caste is, like, the Vaishyas, right? Yeah. So they protect the cows. Right. Right. So I, I think in that in that sense it's like meat eating you shouldn't see it like systematic meat eating like slaughtering animals to eat meat in a society. I think but but if enough people have bows and arrows, then there is you need a to, societal uh, consumption of animals. Right, but I think it's more like um, like what I said before, the kshatriyas they have a very specific. Almost like very passionate, violent nature. Yes. Because they fight. Right. So they, at least what I've understood from that, I don't know much about that, but is that they were allowed to uh, kill, um, say, like a tiger or something, or like um, go into the forest and practice their archery on, on a tiger, or like a, more in that sense. Not in the sense yeah, but of you're talking, systematically but, killing animals. To but also, see, you're talking about a very elite uh, group of archers who might mm-hmm. go out to kill a tiger. Mm-hmm. I think if archery is spread through the culture, mm-hmm. most people are probably killing uh, large birds or, or, or um, mammals. You know what I mean? Like, not, yeah. everyone's, not everyone's at war killing tigers. And if, everyone's, if so many people are using bows and arrows, well, that, that, that just makes sense. Well, I mean, I mean, the fact that you use a, a, like a gun in a battle doesn't mean you're walking around with a gun shooting animals or people. Like, so if you have a bow and an arrow in an army and you're a soldier or you're, you're a kshatriya, 
maybe you just put your bow and arrow away and take it up on the pedal start. Or maybe use it for practice. But, but my impression now, and you know, we don't have to we don't have to debate this and and yeah, get this into the ground. Yeah. But my impression is that if there's a culture in which archery plays such a significant part, yeah, um, then you know a lot of things are getting killed uh, because that's what bows and arrows are for. And well, uh, they, I mean, they may be just used in battles, but you wouldn't want to go into battle not having practiced on other things. You wouldn't want humans to be your first... Well, I think the, what you have to understand is that the Ksatria is more someone who would like... have like a whole education from, from childhood into the art of fighting. So they, they're like really trained, they're, they're not well, afraid well, they're of... they're soldiers. Yeah, they're not afraid of blood or severed limbs or like... No. Or, um, you know, so they're trained for many, many years to, to be these ferocious well, fighters. Well, that actually raises the, another part of this question, hmm. which is, in ISKCON, where are the Kshatriyas? I don't think that we have Kshatriyas like that. Maybe we have a couple, but I don't oh, think... In ISKCON? Yeah, I don't think we, we have that. We don't have an army in ISKCON, of <laughs> Kshatriyas who uh, shoot arrows and... Uh... Well, I mean, obviously, we've moved on from archery, uh, but actually, this it's more about my question about meat-eating. And, and this is, I think, a significant question because in the future, over the next 100, 200 years, hmm. um, ISKCON has a very unfavorable uh, sort of exclusionary relationship with people who eat meat. They're not... Actually, that's not true. No? No. Not with the people. Actually, ISKCON is really trying to educate people to understand how they can act for their own well-being and for their... Um, for, the, for the well-being of their body and, and mind at, in this life and for their destination uh, in the next life. Right. So Iskon is trying to educate people that by killing an animal, you incur sinful reactions. And that's bad for you. But you understand moving forward that we are going to remain in a society that overwhelmingly eats meat. And our relationship with that society can't just be antagonistic Forever. Well, there has to be some sort of incorporation. And what I'm thinking of is that uh, in, in, in sort of the ancient Vedic culture, there was something done with the Kshatriyas that allowed them to engage in that behavior, but still be fully incorporated into that social model. Whereas mm. in ISKCON today, I feel like, well, if you meet me, you're not even, you're not nowhere in the program. You, you, we don't have a place for you. That's, that's also not true because... Yeah, we do say uh, meat eating isn't good. Mm -hmm. It's not good for the animals. It's not good for the person who eats the animal. Mm -hmm. It's not good for the environment. Uh, we all know it. Um, but it's not like we're demonizing people. We're actually seeing that that person who is doing maybe an act which isn't good for themselves, for the environment, you know, and for the animals. Mm -hmm. um, that that person is also uh, 
uh, a, val a valuable human being who is a, which is a spirit soul. So I think Jesus said that like, hate the sin, not the sinner. So the devotee is, is meant to be actually very compassionate, very mm -hmm. humble. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, if, you, if you read um, the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, um, then you can see that our attitude isn't one of like, um, it's more an, an attitude of introspection and humility and God consciousness from which we try to uh, emanate a, a message. Well, I understand the message and mm. I understand what's trying to be conveyed, but mm. I also think that there are people who just won't hear it. You know, you could tell them a hundred times and they're not going to uh, alter their behavior. Well, and what is the relationship with that person? Well, of course, I mean, we're not in control, you know, people have their free will. We're not in control of people. We can uh, inform them. We can show by our own example. Um, but then if they still choose, if people still choose to do things which we know are bad for them, uh, then they, they are exercising their own free will. And who are we to say, like, even Krishna is allowing this. Well, so see, who are we to say, like, but, but see, that, that is because you're not a Kshatriya. You say, who are we to, hmm. you know, to tell them? That's not a Kshatriya attitude. Hmm. A Kshatriya says, we told you the rules. You yeah. will not break the rules or I'll break you. Well, you know what I mean? Like, there's a completely different attitude between how a Kshatriya views this situation and a more gentle yeah, I, I can tell you that, but, but, but to go back to that, the Varnasram Dharma system in this age yeah. is really not existent almost. Well, I, it's really not, I agree it's, with you. It's yes, really that's not true, in but, place. But why is it presented as the perfect way to organize society in these scriptures? Well, if you think, I mean, if you think about that, if it would actually work like that, if we have these different classes of men and everybody is engaged according to their nature. But that's like saying if communism was practiced properly, it would, be, it would, it would form a utopia no. on earth. But it's been proven not to be the case. But how are you different than, a, than, a, than an idealistic communist? Saying, well, if everyone just did this, followed this method, then everything would be great. Well, I mean... I don't know, but it, it, it makes sense that it, when everybody is uh, engaged according to their nature mm -hmm. and because everybody has a different nature and that nature is according to scriptures is divided into different like ashrams, varnas. Mm -hmm. And if we're in that varna or ashram and we're properly situated, then from there a harmony exists in society and a harmony exists for the individual from which or from where they can um, uh, practice their spiritual life and gain well, I hear the highest you, goal. I hear you telling me a theory, Yeah, but I would certainly like to see it practiced and, and see how true is this? Because at this point, you're just telling me a theory. 
Yeah, well, I mean, for me, that is also a theory. I have read about Varnas from Dharma, you know, the system in, in the scriptures. I've never seen that, you know. I don't know much well, about it. Well, That's what I've heard. How important is it, Varnas from Dharma, this social political system? I mean, should do we I guess, even, I mean, do we I, care? I guess it could be very important, like if if it would be properly practiced all over the world. Yeah, but say, I mean, that's, that's the whole communist argument, the be. whole argument of socialism. Yeah. yeah, if we just practiced it right, well, it we, would work. We can also come a little bit closer to home, you know, where, where we were just talking about it. Like, so, um, yeah, like how, how do we approach people that may have practices that we do not agree with? Right. So my, 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 what, where, where I was going to say that, yeah, we're not in control and we can inform people and we can show an example or try in our lives, you know, and then if people still choose to do something in a certain way, then I don't think we should dwell on that. We should understand that this is the material world where people are because they are, um, they want to be separate from God. They want to act separately from God. So there we are. So we're probably like the minority of people who are trying to live in harmony with God. Um, so let's look at that. Let's, let's look at that, how in, um, in this world, um, uh, maybe, yeah, a minority probably of people are trying to live in harmony with God. And there's a, a, a majority of people who think that uh, killing animals or doing other things which are, which I think are not in harmony with God's laws. Um, yeah, how that, how that affects us. Well, uh, uh, just... Like for our own, for our own lives. Like yes, we can yes, philosophize, yes. but like, look, let's, well, let's go yes. back to our... Well, and, and actually I want to get, I think we both want to get out of the philosophical realm, but I, I'm, I'm sort of stuck on, on this whole Varnashram Dharma thing hmm. because it, it wouldn't be hard to step out of the philosophical realm and set up a village where we're, you know, we're going to follow these principles, we're going to divide everybody in this way. And then we're going to tweak it, adjust it. We're going to uh, see how it works and then develop it. I mean, it's, mm. it's not something that we can take off of the page and, and give to someone as a workable truth unless we've seen it work. Well, I mean, okay, you know, okay, it, it is there. And I mean, there's many things there. But let's look at our lives right now, where we are right now. Yeah. For our own lives. Okay. Like how, how we are. Uh, trying to become God conscious and how we are trying to be happy. So like, okay, if we, if we, um, if, if we are trying to connect with the spiritual teachings and thus with the, with the spiritual masters and we see what they are saying and we're trying to connect with Krishna through them, then we, we have a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of, of instructions to practice in our daily lives, to experience that, yes, we are 
we are naturally happy. We are naturally uh, in harmony with God. So let's look at that. Let's not look at the things that like, may, may confuse us or are not in place well, at this time, but let's look at this time well, right I th- now. I think, um, okay, uh, you know, to, to pull it down to sort of an individual current experience hmm. is an entirely different project than what I'm talking about. But, right. but it seems to me... Because, I mean, I don't know much about Varner's Hamdan system. Well, so I, 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 find, I find it odd that people know so little about it in ISKCON when, mm. when it's presented as the ideal way to form a society. And it seems like either this knowledge is useful or it's not. So let's either admit that it's not useful or let's see it in action. I mean, it, it can't just be like this, well, my scripture says this, so uh, yeah. here, here's something you need to know. It's like, well, why do I need to know that? Uh, I have another problem with the gunas in yeah. the in the Bhagavad Gita. All of the universe is made up of uh, sattva guna, rajaguna, and tamas guna. Mm-hmm. So these three gunas, I, I, I have yet to find a practical application or useful uh, use for that knowledge. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like for instance, um, like there's foods in in different gunas in different modes. Okay. So the food in the mode of ignorance, for instance, is like stale food or like right. rotten things. That makes you feel bad after you eat it, right? Well, so many different things that are like, that we, yeah, some people are attracted to stuff like that, you know? I guess so. Yeah. yeah. And, um, Duck eggs. Yeah, there's, there's so many different kind of things <laughs> which are like, yeah. you know, like which are in that mode. Yeah. And then we have like passionate food, you know? Like very salty, very spicy, you know, very like oily, like, you know, like kind of. And then we have foods in the, in the mode of goodness, like uh, nice grains, nice vegetables, milk. So we can eat different foods like that. Yeah. So in, in but, but I almost feel like the gunas, you're, you're sort of forcing the gunas here because it's very easy to discern... Uh, food that is clean and healthy from food that is old and gross um, without knowing anything about the gunas. Well, I mean, I'm just trying to bring it to life. So you say, like, I don't understand the gunas, but so life happens in different modes of nature. Mm -hmm. So like the ignorance is, say, like someone is like sleeping all the time. It's like completely identified with the body, very unhappy, maybe... You know, like it said, like just completely unhappy, you know. And then someone in passion maybe like, you know, wants to do stuff and is like suddenly very happy and then suddenly like very morose. And it's more like very extreme kind of lifestyle mm-hmm. and trying to achieve stuff and being someone. And then the mode of goodness is more like a life which is in harmony with nature and with God and is aimed at spiritual realization. So we can we can all position ourselves in a certain mode or we can work ourselves to be well that's controversial. So like um, say say like um um like what we do we, we try to wake up early in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. We take a bath, mm-hmm. we put on clean clothes, mm-hmm. we go to the temple to worship God, then we eat uh, food which is in the mode of goodness 
well, or at least we should. Um, and so we, we try to live our life such a way that we live in that goodness. And from that goodness comes a platform from which we can look into transcendence, from which we can have a taste of spiritual life. So, do you need to... Okay. You know, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, I do understand, but let's, let's keep in mind that you, in many ways, inherit this combination of gunas. You do. So some people will have easier access to the transcendental realm yes. than others by birth. Well, that's another, that, that's another thing. So we have the, the three modes of material nature. Then we also have the spiritual the which is basically uh, it's n not of the modes not of the modes and it's, it's like spiritual goodness it's called spiritual well goodness. it's called spiritual goodness but it's not goodness because it's not it's not it's, of the it's not one of the modes it's not one of the it's modes it's independent entirely of the three modes so that we're talking about like the living entity desires right mm -hmm. desires something and so if the, if the living entity desires to be in the mode of ignorance, then we'll be in the mode of ignorance. But it is possible for the living entity by, by training to come from the mode of ignorance even to the, to the spiritual platform, simply by the mercy of God and especially by the mercy of the devotees. The devotee actually can give the mercy hmm. To lift someone out and give him the vision and help him I will, uh, um, to be out of that. It's definitely possible because we are that spiritual being. So we are in the modes. But maybe someone who is in the mode of ignorance, born in the mode of ignorance, that doesn't actually doesn't really happen because we're all mixed. We're sometimes in ignorance, sometimes in passion. But, but we're born with different proportions. Yeah, but, but then it is possible, because we are a spiritual being, to be lifted out of that by the mercy of, of God, and Krishna, and especially by the mercy of the spiritual master. If you look at Sri Prabhupada... Before you said devotees, now you said spiritual master. Well, that's the same. I'm, I'm talking about uh, spiritual teachers. Mm -hmm. So if you look at Sri Prabhupada... He came to, to America. These people they, that, that he was preaching to, yeah, they, they, many of them were hippies. They were oh, like, yeah, they were, they they were, were the hippies. Yeah, they, weren't, mean, they weren't, it wasn't yeah, they like were, they were like hippies. They well, were they hippies. Were, they were the hippies, many yeah. of them. Yeah. So like they, they had a pretty rough lifestyle. They were, you know, I've been reading about it. But, and, but they, were, they also had an understanding that... I'm not in the right place. I'm searching for something. They were not happy in their ignorance. They, well, they were taking drugs. They were eating also, meat. They were doing so many different things. But, but they keep were in mind, happy. Yeah, historically, what was happening, mm -hmm. uh, especially with the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. and with there was sort of a meltdown, and, mm -hmm. and everyone in America was was pretty uncertain about their government and about what was happening, and yeah. so. In that way, uh, Srila Prabhupada came, entered the perfect storm. Well, I mean, you can say entered the perfect storm, but we could say Krishna has arranged, nothing well, happens that's, by, by accident. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, yeah. You know, like God is always trying 
to help us, the you know, the souls in the material world, maybe I'm kind of like too black and white, but is always trying to help us to have an understanding of who we really are and how we can get out of the material world and go back to Krishna. So God is always making opportunities, not only when Srila Prabhupada comes, but has done that many, many different times before in many, many different ways. Sure. You know, so like we're, we're taking the instance of Srila Prabhupada and we're talking about the mode. So many of these people were probably in a, in a mix of ignorance and passion. And so when Srila Prabhupada came, yeah, there, of course, there, those were not many people too. I mean, how many disciples did Prabhupada have? Um, but they, these people, they were searching, even though they were in ignorance or in passion. And so when the spiritual master came along, he said to them, stop eating meat, um, stop taking intoxication, stop having illicit sex and stop gambling and eat these things, offer them to God, chant God's holy names and gave them all guidelines. And he said, if you follow these things very quickly, you will have a spiritual experience and you will be able to get out. So they were all born in that. But that's the mercy. And those teachings of Sudha Prabhupada, they come from the Guru Prabhupada, they come all the way from Krishna. So that God is in that way, through his devotees, trying to reach out. And if the soul is ready for that and is suffering and is trying for, uh, for a way out, by following the instructions of the spiritual master, they very quickly, you can see, they become, their whole lives become purified. They get spiritual realizations. Okay. God and gives, and he gives, he gives the way to come out of it. Okay. Now, I'm going to assume yeah. that you aren't just telling me what you've read, that you have some experience of this. Of course. Yeah. So, actually, let's jump back to Radha Desh mm -hmm. and your decision to go to Vrindavan. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> you decided to go to Vrindavan. Yeah. When you were in Vrindavan, you saw a person who you saw again back yeah. in Radhadesh, and that instigated your moving to Australia where you yep. met Amy. Yeah. Before you moved to Florida. Yep. So uh, how did you end up in Radhadesh in Belgium? Well, I was born in Holland. So uh -huh. Holland is right next to Belgium. And... Um, I was, you know, when I, I went to the army and when I was 18 and then after the army I was thinking I really want to do something, there's more, I want to do something more with my life. So I was like, okay, I'll go to Israel. So hmm. I, and I, in my mind, Israel was like that place where everybody was focused on God and like I had a whole idea of it, like, almost like a, you know, like a spiritual kind you of thing. You must have been reading the Bible. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I grew up with the Bible. Okay. Because yeah, otherwise that wouldn't make any sense. Well, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I had that whole idea, like, that it was like a very, like, regulated life where everybody was, like, growing spiritually and stuff. But anyway, I came in Israel and it was just like, I don't know, uh, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't like that at all. Um, and... Um, it was actually one of the, the wildest times of my life, actually. Uh -huh. so, so I came, I, sp I spent there like a year. And what, in a kibbutz or something? In a kibbutz, and I lived in Tel Aviv for half. I, I lived half a year in a kibbutz, half a year in Jaffa in Tel Aviv. Okay. It was very nice. 
I had a very nice time. Um, but it was wild, you know. I was kind of like a hippie also, just kind of traveling around and stuff. So I, I, when I came back, I still didn't really find find it, you know. I was still searching. So I just kind of... I, I worked in construction for an interior builder and stuff. And I started reading different books. And one... I was reading different books, like uh, Sufi mysticism and like all kinds of things. I was just searching. And at one point I got a book which was called uh, Secret Paths to Divine Love. And hmm. it was like from a Catholic uh, mystici- mystici, M- like a, a mystic. A mystic. Yeah. And um, he was writing all about uh, the loving relationship the soul has with God. And it was aimed at like, it was a monk or something. It was aimed at some like nobleman or something. It was like an old book. Okay. And I was like, really really like uh, interested in that and uh, I started to see a different kind of life like something came alive in me like a different how you could live maybe like a more saintly life right but I wasn't but I was trying and then at one point I was walking in in Maastricht is a city in Holland in the south and I saw a Harinam so the chanting of the holy name mm-hmm. and um, I was, I was just, when I saw them, I was thinking, this, this is what I've been looking for. I don't know why. I just like no. so attracted to them. And Did I, you like follow them? No, I mean, there was a devotee behind them distributing books. And I remember thinking, oh, I wish that he would give me a book, right? So I kind of walked towards him and he, uh, he gave me a book, uh, Science of Self-Realization. And I read that book and I was like, this is this is what I've been looking for. I just everything suddenly made sense to me. I understood my whole life. I understood like why I wasn't happy. I just completely got it. So I, I had been trying to be vegetarian and stuff, which I was off and on, you know. But I immediately became vegetarian, and um, yeah, then very quickly, like I went to the temple in Amsterdam, and they said, "Oh, you can go to Radhadesh, which is they have like." A, training program there and stuff. So then I went to Radhadesh and I stayed there. I lived there for like seven years. And yeah. the, the seven years was what, 1998? 1998 to 2005. Uh-huh. And then that's when you started to sort of travel around, so to go to Vrindavan. And yeah. What year were you in Vrindavan? Yeah, that must have been 2005, 2006. Okay. And so what happened after you became involved? Did, were you were sort of were you able to verify some of the the claims? Um, how did you change? Well, I started to see in the first place, like what we have is like um, we have a part of us which is very sincere and really wants to reach God and really wants to have the connection with God. And then we have a part of us which actually doesn't want that our conditioned part, which actually want to enjoy separately from God. So a battle ensues Mm. between those two sides where there's a sincere part and there's a part which gives in to temptation or like uh, wants to be separate from God. So what I could clearly see before I was maybe thinking, oh, I'm very spiritual and I'm going for the spiritual. But when it really came down to it and I was practicing, I could see, yes, a part of me actually is very rebellious towards God. So the work then starts where you start to um, 
slowly, slowly understand. And that, that part, that work is going on right now. That work is still going on. Where uh, we have a very sincere part, but we also have a part where well, we actually very rebellious towards God. So know, that work then starts we, when we start the spiritual life. That work, um, yeah. I find um, potentially problematic um, in that... Well, it is problematic because well, that's, that's our problem. <laughs> no, but the problem of sort of turning on yourself uh. so that um, you may start to pathologize mm. normal behavior. Mm-hmm. So you may say, um, you know, you may have illicit desires. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to say, well, you know, I acknowledge that, but I, I'm not going to go in that direction. And it's another thing to, to condemn yourself. Yeah, that's another thing. And, that wouldn't and, be very healthy. Yeah. And so when you say this battle takes place, I mean, there mm-hmm. has to be give and take on both sides, doesn't there? Because you don't want to sort of lock out. Well, you don't, you don't want to be like, you want to be compassionate with yourself and understanding and see where you're coming from. But you also want to make spirit, you also want to be happy. You also want to make spiritual advancement. Hmm. So like what I said, a part of us really wants to be that surrendered soul to God. Another part of us is more like um, rebellious. Mm-hmm. So in, in the, the battle between the, I mean, like um, there's a work going on there where we're slowly, slowly understanding that being rebellious to God is not in my ultimate interest. But to what extent is that rebellion just part of an inherited proportion of gunas? Well, that that's what, what we're talking about before. I don't think I explained it very well, but um, naturally the soul who's in the, in the material world is rebellious towards God unless he comes with a specific mission into the material world. But that's the, the, the reason for the material world. So in a way, you, within the psychology of one individual, you're sort of trying to put down a rebellion. If you could see an, an individual personality as a government, mm-hmm. uh, basically there is a rebellious faction in the government <laughs> mm-hmm. that needs to be suppressed. For the government to function properly. Well, I mean, suppressed, suppressed. Yeah, some, I think. You know, I wouldn't call it like suppressed because suppressed have that notion of you press something away. Then when you're not pre- but that actually, press anymore, but that then is the, the thing comes up again. Yes. Right? And, well, that is the word I want to use. Yes. So, I mean, I don't think that that would be healthy. I would say like. By experiencing a higher reality and a higher truth and a higher life, naturally we are able to give up the lower life. Hmm. So the idea is... Like, so it doesn't spring back once, no, because once you release the pressure on it. No, I mean, that, that is the whole thing. Like we, I said, it, like when I first joined, that, that battle is there. But by practicing Krishna consciousness and by... Um, understanding, um, getting an understanding of yourself, where you're rebellious, where you're sincere, um, but, but, but mainly by, by the mercy of devotees, by living with, with, with spiritually minded people and people who are way more advanced than ourselves, than myself, 
they show the way. They, they are showing this uh, other life, the spiritual life, which is so much more blissful and higher that naturally, yeah, like if you have a very nice meal in front of you and, and someone brings you like a dog biscuit or something, then who's going for the dog biscuit? Maybe if you're very attached to dog biscuits, you would probably eat it. But I, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, it'd be a it'd be a sign of a disorder if you were attached to the dog biscuit. Well, but I mean, but the thing is, like that that rebellion to God is a disorder. Hmm. It is not who we really are. It's actually like a problem that we have, and yeah. that we start to see. Yeah, but and and you know, I apologize for always. Uh, uh, so consistently going back to civics in this situation is that you know rebellion to God being a disorder when that gets applied at mm-hmm. the level of a uh, government mm-hmm. then we have big problems uh, you know a, a, a theocratic society is um, not ideal in many ways but we just found that through experience so to sort of um, you know, you'd never want a government leader who says rebellion to God is a disorder and I'm going to fix that. <laughs> it's like, no, you don't want, you do not want the government to say that, mm. at least in the world as it's currently constructed, because yeah, that, that, that is a, that's red flags. You know, yeah, that's like, whoa. Work. But you could maybe imagine like many, many thousands or million years ago, a society in which everybody works in harmony with each other and with, with their with I, their ultimate goal. I can't really imagine that society because I don't know that that society ever really existed. I don't know either. But I mean, I could imagine that. I could imagine like that, there you there were uh, envisioning more the spiritual world where everybody is in harmony and is uh, loving and compassionate and like has the same goal of serving God and has goodwill towards everybody. Yeah, once again, I, I, this place you're talking of or this situation you're talking of uh, yeah uh, uh, sure i mean yeah. i don't know yeah no i mean i don't i wouldn't i wouldn't know how in this world now how we would apply that i i'm not a politician or uh, you know do i know so much about varner from the armor system but i could imagine a world yeah i could imagine a world where everybody would have the same goal and everybody would work in harmony with each other i think the hippies kind of tried to achieve that right yeah, it doesn't I, work, but, but I, I mean, think that their methods were suspect. I don't think they could achieve that, and I don't. I don't know that it's achievable. But I think that whatever the hippies were doing wasn't the path to get there. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think so either. But at least they were searching for something. They were searching. That's for sure. And um, yeah, I think it's hard to say. You know, it's it's hard, really hard to say that um, how that could be applied in in the world nowadays I think better that we look at ourselves you know better yeah. we look at our own lives well, well, and worry about where we are yes if if, if there's anything well, we can do the first thing that we should do is be happy and uh, in the right consciousness ourselves and that's a whole work and then when we are God conscious ourselves and we're happy ourselves we're in the right place then maybe we can start thinking, how can I extend that to others? Right. But to start to kind of think like, yeah, you know, because then it becomes kind of like, 
Well, what I mean, what it I becomes think, like a, a situation that we don't really. No, I. Yeah. What I the way I see this, and and maybe I'm completely delusional, but I'm hoping to start a conversation that might not really get resolved for another hundred years. <laughs> and and the the question is, how does this con relate with the society in which it exists? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this will grow and develop, but it's something that has to be addressed by somebody. It's not everybody's job, well, but I mean, it's we certainly have, somebody's we have, job. We have in ESCON, we have like, you know, we, we have pretty, uh, we have very elevated and, and knowledgeable people, you know, mm-hmm. that you could ask such a question to. I mean, there's people that are really very advanced. Oh, yeah. And, and they maybe, they will, not maybe, but they are for sure better able to answer questions like that. Yeah, well, and also, I mean, part of it is, um, you know, I'm right, these are sort of selfish questions and that they're questions that, uh, you know, I'm trying to work out personally as opposed to asking you about yourself. No, it's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know what I mean? But um, but I did want to to bounce it off of you and just sort of see what you think. Well, I I try my best to answer you as as good as I can in the moment. It's always like with those things. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, maybe later I think. Now, you were a year in Rhode Island. Yeah. And then you moved here. Yeah. And when was that? Like four months ago. Four months ago you moved here. Yeah. And you were living in... Uh, sparse accommodations. What here? Yeah. No. I thought you were up in the uh, the little. Um... Yeah, that's actually the guest house. Oh, you were in the guest house. Okay. The, the guest house is actually really nice. It's oh, like okay, one of the okay. nicest. I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought you were suffering in depravity until. No, uh, no, 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 no. Okay. No. So, but you've recently moved into a bigger. Uh, situation because yeah. now what exactly happened the the kitchen was remodeled and so you couldn't move in here yeah we're actually in your house yeah yeah um which is on the temple grounds across from the temple itself and um so what was it how long have you been in this uh space maybe three weeks Okay, so you very recently moved in, and, and maybe a ra- month, yeah, maybe a month. And around the temple, since you've come here, you've been doing some gardening. Gardening, yeah. Is that your main um, sort of? Uh, well, my main my main thing is the spiritual practice. Oh sure, I yeah, I realize that. that, that yeah. That's that's the main thing I'm yeah, trying to that. work on. And then my service, I'm doing different things. Like I'm I'm actually just assisting the devotees. I'm trying to. Uh-huh. You know when when things need to be done, like maintenance. Yeah. Um, I'm helping with taking care of the, the greenhouse and Tulasi. And I yeah I was experimenting with the garden, so maybe next year we can have like a bigger garden and mm-hmm. get some. How did that go with the garden? Good. Really. Really good. Good soil and good. Yeah, good I mean uh, I got lo- I didn't do so much because it was late in the season. It was like August. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, we, we there was a couple of devotees, maybe like four devotees, who regularly went to the garden and the temple used some the vegetables too. And what, what do you plan for next year for to grow? Uh, well, this time I just grew more like the winter things, like kale and broccoli and like spinach and stuff like that. But next year I want to do like everything, like carrots and beets and like uh, zucchini and pumpkin and 
Mm. You know, different kind of beans and different kind of salads and mm -hmm. just whatever you can imagine, you know, whatever grows. And you're a cook. I am. Yeah. So is this uh, from the garden to the to the pot to it's the much, to the altar to the um, guests? Well, well, it's much it's much more grounding working in a garden. It's very nice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the kitchen is fire, you know. Oh, okay. Working with in the kitchen is like pretty uh, quite a passion. I mean, maybe just because I am passionate, but I mean, and, and when you say passionate, fire. I should just qualify that and say that. Hare Krishnas understand the word passion maybe slightly different than people at large in the regular vernacular oh. because it does tend to refer to just the active guna, the active mode, which you will learn about if you read the Bhagavad Gita. Well, you know, I mean, what I mean, like if you work in a kitchen, you work with fire, right? Sure. So you have many different things to do. Yes. So you have to think of and a lot of things at the same time. Anxiety and, and like, organization. You know, everything, everything has to be perfect and it has to be the right yeah, amount yeah, of yeah. salt and spices and it has to be cooked in the right way. And it's a lot of, a lot of things and I've done that for quite, a, quite some time. And it just so happened that, um, yeah, they, they, the gardener here actually left just recently. Just when I arrived, he actually left. Oh, I see. So there was a space open for a gardener. Hmm. But it doesn't mean that, I mean, I also have other ideas of things that I can do. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do. Do you plan to get more involved in cooking? Or, or are you already... Actually, I'm happy not to at the moment, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I yeah. cooked for my spiritual master when I was in Orlando. Oh, yeah? I recently visited my spiritual master in Orlando. And I cooked a meal for him, which I used to do too. It was nice. I like, I mean, I like cooking on a small scale. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to, like really prepare something for Krishna and then, and then offer it like to the devotees, it's nice. Have you sort of uh, walked around the grounds at the buildings and, and stuff and thought, ah, this is what they could use, or this is what I should do, or do you, do you sort of wait for your spiritual master to lead on that sort of thing? No. 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 So you, you, you do sort of decide for yourself what, what, what improvements? Well, my spiritual master may may give a, like a suggestion or something, or yeah. may even say like I think this is good for you or something. But um, or may say like I don't think that's a good idea or something. But yeah, usually like when I came here, I saw the garden and that there was a possibility to develop the garden. Yeah. So then I, I started. Well, do you then. see any other areas that you you'd like to uh, sort of engage in? Well, yeah, I would, I would like to, I mean, I do the book table uh -huh. on Sunday. Uh -huh. It's been like a desire of me to maybe be more engaged in, uh, more involved in, uh, you know, distributing books and things like that. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's also whatever is needed, you know. I also do like maintenance work and also try to have a mentality where the thing that's most needed yeah that i that i do that uh, yeah. yeah and and which doesn't always work but i try, I try it <laughs> well yeah i mean you're with other people i mean it's um there's there's always going to be give and take you know? yeah. yeah yeah um of the all the uh devotional activities do you mm -hmm. have a um something that you particularly gravitate to yeah it's it's chanting the japa yeah, the japa. Yeah. 
And what does that do for you? Why does that appeal to you? Uh, well, the, the chanting of Krishna's names gives us a, a way to connect with Krishna, call out to Krishna, um, feel the presence of um, my spiritual master and Siddha Prabhupada and the Guru Prampara and feel the connection with Krishna. So that um, when that happens, I'm, I'm happy. Does it normally happen on a, on, a, on a day of meditation or is this something that's more um, rare? No, it happens. Like yeah. regularly? Yeah. You get that, that feeling of spiritual connection. Yeah, and, and if, it, if it isn't a very strong, like the, like the spiritual like ecstasy experience, uh-huh. then it's a feeling of, um, um, I'm a step closer to Krishna. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing an activity where I'm feeling I'm making a step closer to Krishna every time. As opposed to like doing an activity like, uh, you know, like you know, watching, say, watching a movie or something, right? Where you're doing it and it's relaxing and stuff, but it doesn't really, f- you're not making a step close to Krishna. It's almost like you're in kind of a limbo, you know? It yeah. just kind of doesn't, it does, it's not really satisfying. Yeah, it's, it's kind possibly of a waste of time. It's possibly a waste of time, yeah. It's just yeah. kind of like, okay, you know. But like, when I'm chanting, I know that I am working on getting closer to Krishna, getting closer to my spiritual master, getting closer to, to the devotees, to Prabhupada. That you're doing something important. I'm doing something which is, which is every time a small step. So, you know, like the, those big moments of like ecstasy or something, or like, like very intense spiritual realization, they also come, but they're more rare. Hmm. But the the, um, uh, the the feeling of yeah of, of slowly getting closer to Krishna that's definitely there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a fine place to uh, wrap up our interview. Thank you very much for agreeing to speak with me. Yes. <laughs> And you've been listening to Questions for the Sages. I'm Michael Scherer. Thank you for listening. Thank you again, Janardana Das. It was a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing your garden in the spring. Thanks to Rico Hayes for the theme music and to Miriam Lansky for discussions about how to approach the subject matter of the podcast. Thank you also to the Hare Krishna community of Potomac, Maryland for making this podcast possible. I'm Michael Scherer, and you've been listening to Questions for the Sages. Mm-hmm.